thank you to everyone. I'd specifically like to thank Aaron and Lillian and of course Jason Fuchs for sponsoring this week's Parsha Share in memory of Aaron's father, uh, Jason's grandfather, Heinrich Fuchs, Chaim Shol ben Yitzhak Zichon Levrocha, whose yard site is on the 12th of Tammuz, and uh, his Neshama should have an aliyah. We should be zeichet to see Tchias HaMesim, and we should uh, uh, do this in his memory and in his schus, and it's wonderful to have Aaron together with us uh, on the live Zoom, and uh, everyone who's listening to the recording should know that Aaron and his family are wonderful members of our community here in Beverly Hills, maybe originally from New York, but we are so delighted that they are part of our Beverly Hills Kahila, and it's wonderful to have you joining us here for the share. Thank you, Rabbi Dunner. Thank you. Um, so it's Parsha's Bolok. It's an interesting and weird Parsha. I'm, by the way, broadcasting from Jerusalem. For those of you who are not aware, my son Meir is going to be joining the um, Israel Defense Forces, IDF, as a Chayal Boded. And we are now in Bidud, nothing to do with being a Chayal Boded. But because when we got here to Israel and the COVID crisis, the COVID pandemic, uh, is still raging across the world. We are now in two weeks of isolation, um, in quarantine, and we cannot possibly go out. And what that means is we are still on LA time. So, uh, you know, we go to bed in the day and we're up in the night. And until such time as we have to emerge into Israel, that's where we are going to remain. So it's a delight, even though it's currently um, very well past nine o'clock at night, here in Israel, it's in the middle of the day for us, right? So we are, it's only one o'clock or 1.08 in the afternoon in Los Angeles, and that's what time it is for me. And we're going to talk about Parshas Bollock. Parshas Bollock is interesting. It's one of those very rare situations in the Torah where no one um, who is actually um, involved in the story, the direct story of the history of the Jewish people, has any role in the, in the narrative that we find in Parshas Bollock. We don't see Moshe Rabbeinu. We don't see Aaron HaKoyen. We don't see Yehoshua bin Nun. We don't see the Zikainim. We don't see anyone. The story is really a sidebar. It's a story about Bilom and Bollock and their intentions. And all the Mepharshim seem to agree that... This is a story about, it's, this is a pivotal moment in human history. What does that mean? That there's something going on here which is beyond the immediate tension that exists between a nation of Moabites who don't want the Jewish people to get into Eretz Israel. Um, it, there's something more going on here. It's not just about this battle which is time-bound to that particular era. Because if it is, what is it doing there? We know that the entire world was against the Jewish people. And that's what we really need to understand. Why did Bollock call upon Bilom? Who was Bilom? What did he try to do? And how are we to understand it thousands of years later, almost three and a half thousand years later, how are we to understand this very weird narrative and make sense of it in terms of our own connection to God and our own connection to our Jewish identity. So 
if you'll forgive me, I'm going to read for you the first few psukim of Parshas Bolok. We're going to start, actually, the Parsha begins at Posuk base of chapter 22 in Bamidbar. Um, that's where Parshas Bolok begins. But in a sense, the Parsha begins the Posuk before. Vayisu b'nei Yisrael, the Israelites continued to travel, Vayachanu ba'arvois Moav, and they encamped themselves in the plains of Moav, me'ever liyarden yerechai, across the Jordan, the river Jordan we're talking about, from Jericho. So they were in direct proximity to where they intended to go, which was Eretz Yisrael at that stage called Eretz Canaan. That's the last posuk in the previous parsha. And now we're going to begin Parsha's Bolok. Vayar Bolok ben Tzipor. Bolok, the son of Tzipor, who's a warlord um, king uh, in that region at that time, he saw everything that Israel had done to the Amorites. They had got into a battle with Emori and had obviously um, been successful in, in a military sense. And Bolok ben Tzipor was aware of the Jewish people's military success and their intentions. And the Moabites, or Moab, speaking in general terms, were extremely alarmed because of the people. Very, very alarmed. Ravhu, because there were so many of them. The Jewish people was a nation of millions, probably about two million people. If it's, it's almost impossible to, to work to uh, imagine that, because if there were six hundred thousand adults between the ages of twenty and sixty, male adults, we can imagine that their counterpart, that there were six hundred thousand adults, women between the ages of twenty and sixty, and the calculation is between people who were older than that and younger than that, both male and female, there were around 2 million, 1.8 to 2 million people. And they were right on the, at the edge of Eretz Yisrael. Vayokotz Moyov mipnei b'nei Yisrael, and Moyov was extremely frightened of the Jewish people. Now that's a little curious. I'm not going to go into too much detail at this stage. We're going to get to that later. It's curious because it doesn't seem that at this stage, Moyav had any reason to be frightened of the Jewish people. There was no evidence or indication that the Israelites had any military or um, territorial intentions with regard to Moyav. But nevertheless, Vayokotz Moyav b'pnei b'nei Yisrael. Says the next posuk, Vayomer Moyav el-ziknei midyon. Again, speaking in very general terms, it doesn't tell us who is speaking. It just says the Moabites said to the elders of Midian, "Ato yelachachu hakol es kol sevivaisenu kilchoich hashir es yerek hasode." Now, this horde, this enormous amount of people, will lick clean everything that is around us. Just like an ox, a bull, licks up the grass of the field. In other words, this, I guess we could call it from their point of view, cancer of a nation 
is going to consume us all. And we are in grave danger. Says the Pasuk, Uvalok ben Tsipoir, Melech le Mayov So finally, we introduced to who Mayov was, uh, to who Bolok was. He was the king of Mayov at that time. So Mayov and Midian, who lived in what's today known as the country of Jordan, Transjordan, on the other side of the Jordan from Eretz Israel. They, as nations or as tribes, I'm not quite sure how to describe them. Uh, you know, I'm not speaking here from a historical point of view, but the Torah describes them as nations. Midian and Moav were extremely frightened of the prospect of the Jewish nation being in such close proximity to them. They felt that they would be consumed. Not clear why, and we're going to get to that in the Shir. Vayishlach Malochim El Bilom Ben Ba'or and sent messengers. It seems like Bolok sent these messengers to somebody called Bilom, Balam in the English um, transliteration. Bilom is the way we'll refer to him for this year. Ben Ba'or, the son of Ba'or, Petoira in a place called Petoir. By the way, we have references to both Bilom and Ba'or in ancient. Um, uh, um, in ancient history, we know that there are references to them which have been found in cuneiform writings on rocks which have been, uh, uh, which have been dug up in those regions. So we know that they were real people. Petoira Asher Alhanor, Petoira was on the river, the Euphrates. Eretz Bene Amoy Likroi Loi in the land of his people. And this, he wanted to call him, and this is what he said to him. Hine, behold, am yotza mimitzrayim, the nation that came out of Egypt. Hine kisa es ein ha'aretz. It is um, hiding the earth from view. They are completely covering the land. It's almost an expression of infestation. That's the way that this message reached Bilom. Muli, and it's this nation is settled, is has come to rest next to me. This is what Bollock sent as a message to Bilom. And the Posuk, the next Posuk continues. And now please will you curse this nation for me? Ki otsumhu, because they are too many, me many, they are more than me. Ulai uchal nakeboy, perhaps, I guess, with the aid of your curse, I will be able to defeat them militarily. That seems to be uh, the underlying message. Vagarshenu min ha'aretz, and drive them out of the land. By the way, we're going to spend quite some time on this particular phrase. What exactly does that mean? The Pasuk continues, I know that you, Bilom, you are an extraordinary individual who has a direct connection with God. In fact, we know from the Talmud and the Medrash that Bilom was considered to be a prophet at the level of Moshe Rabbeinu. 
he was kind of the counterpart to Moshe Rabbeinu and Bolok and I guess everybody else knew that too and he said to him I know that whomever you bless will be blessed and whoever you curse will be cursed that is the first reference point that I want to um, put to your attention today that this was the plan that Bolok on behalf of Moab and Midian approaches Bilom to see whether or not he can get the better of the Jewish nation not because and it's clear here that there's no indication of it there was a military threat direct military threat from the Jewish nation but because they were so numerous and they appeared threatening for reasons that we cannot as yet determine Bolok wanted to get rid of them and he felt that the best person to approach for reasons again that we have not yet determined was Bilom and he approached him and saw to see whether or not Bilom would agree to help him in this endeavor. We now move on. That was chapter 22, Psukim 1 to 6, Aleph Tuvav. We now move to chapter 23, Posuk Yud. This is taken from the actual words of Bilom that Bilom um, said to the Jewish nation while he was while he was uh, blessing them, cursing them, whatever he was doing to them. And this is what Bilam said. Mi mono afar Yaakov. Who can count the dust of Yaakov? Umispar esroiva Yisrael. And number the dust cloud of Israel. Tomois nafshi mois yesharim. May I die the death of the upright. May my fate be like theirs. Now the latter part of the posuk is something that I focused a lot of attention on in a previous year. And perhaps I will post that as a note um, in the YouTube or the SoundCloud. It's certainly a very interesting reference. Thomas Nafshi Mois Yashorim. What exactly did Bilal mean when he said, may I die the death of the upright? And the Natsiv in Hamik Dovar devotes his entire introduction um, to this book of the Torah, to this idea of Tomos Nafshi Mois Yasharim and what Yasharim actually means. But I'm going to focus on the first part of the Pasuk. Who can count the dust of Yaakov and number the dust cloud of Israel? What is Bilom talking about? What does he mean by dust? Why is he referring to dust? What is that in terms of its... In other words, if something doesn't have an immediately understandable meaning, it has no meaning at all. Let's try and understand the meaning of dust in Bilom's um, world. What does dust mean? We're now going to move to... Uh, a few psukim later, Posuk Chof Dalad, that's um, number 24 in chapter 23 of Bamidbar. Hein Am Kelovi Yokum, the people that rises like a lion. This is Bilam talking about the Jewish people. Vacha'ari Yisnasa, and leaps up like the king of beasts. Lo Yishkav Ad Yoichal Teref does not rest until it has feasted on its prey. 
The dam chalolim yishter, and it has drunk the blood of those it has slain. Again, very poetic. You know, a lot of people focus on this story of Bilam and the word that he uttered when he said what we refer to as the brachos of um, uh, uh, that he. Uh, that he said to the Bnei Yisrael instead of the curse, instead of the klolos. But in fact, it's beautiful poetry. We really only know one posuk, which we say every morning, There's a number of other psukim that are quoted in Davening, but the vast majority of these psukim are not really something that we focus on in terms of their meaning. And they have deep meanings, as we're going to see today. We're going to look at one more posuk, and this posuk is in Tehillim, uh, and it is in Kapitel Kufdalad, chapter 104, posuk Kufdalad. Morabu ma'asecho Hashem. How many are the things that you have made, God? Kulam b'chochma asisa. You have made them all with great wisdom. And here we go. Malha. The earth is full of your kinyonim, your creations. I'm going to come back to that posseg. We're going to see that the Mezrich Magid has a most beautiful idea with reference to this posseg that's going to be key to understanding the story of Bolok and Bilam. Now we're going to turn to the Nesivas Shalom. You all know that the Nesivas Shalom is one of my favorites and that I often devote my share to the Nesivas Shalom, the Slonim Rebbe. And the Slonim Rebbe devotes a lot of attention to a number of questions that arise out of the Psukim that I just quoted to you uh, since we began the share. I'm going, I'm, and by the way, I'm going to post this. It's going to be on my website when this share is posted. It's also going to be in the SoundCloud and in the YouTube. So please... If you want to see the Nesiva the Shalom inside, I'm not going to say the whole thing. You can see the whole thing if you print it off. I've um, scanned it to the best of my ability using my scan app on my phone. And you can download it if you uh, click on the PDF link that is on my website or YouTube or SoundCloud. The Nesiva Shalom quotes this posuk, please now. Make sure to curse this nation because they are so manifold, me many than uh, more than I am or we are. Ulai uchal nakeboy. Perhaps I will be able to smite them, to destroy them, to annihilate them militarily. and be able to um, get them out of the land. Isab medrash says the Nesiva Shalom. When it says v'agarshenu min haaretz. I will get rid of them from the land. What was his intention? Says the Nesivas Shalom. It, his intention was he wanted to make sure that they never made it into Eretz Yisrael. That's what the Medrash says. Says the Nesivas Shalom. How does this make any sense? Why would one imagine that his uh, primary focus was that he didn't want them to get into Eretz Yisrael? What was his actual fear? 
His fear was that he would be overwhelmed by the Jewish nation who were more numerous than him. It has nothing to do with them entering into Eretz Yisrael. So why would the Medrash focus on this particular aspect? What difference does it make? In fact, it's a wonderful thing. If, he by, if the nation bypassed Mayav and Midian and went straight into Eretz Yisrael, what difference would it make to him? What does he care? It's got nothing to do with him. Why would he want to involve himself in any kind of confrontation with the Jewish nation simply to ensure that they didn't enter into Eretz Yisrael? Oid Sarach Bir says the Nasila Shalom, we also need to understand. What does it mean when it says that he didn't want, to, the only thing he wanted to do was to ensure that they didn't go to Eretz Yisrael. The Posuk is very clear. It says, I want to destroy them and annihilate them and exterminate them. What do you mean he, he just wanted them not to go to Eretz Yisrael? That doesn't make any sense at all. That's not what he wanted. It sounds like he also wanted to destroy them militarily. And not that he just wanted them not to enter into the Jewish, into, into the land of Israel. So how does the Medrash make this assumption if the assumption in and of itself is contradicted by the Posuk in the Torah? Let's begin by answering as follows. Let's first look at how we, if we want to understand this entire subject, this topic, let's look at what Bilom said in his praise for the Jewish nation. Who can count the dust of Jacob and, the, and who can find the number of the dust cloud of Israel? Again, this concept of them being like a lion who rises up and is powerful like the king of beasts. We need to understand what he's talking about. It sounds very poetic and very wonderful. But again, unless something can be explained, and understood, it makes no sense. Why did Bilom choose in particular to give the Jewish nation this praise? And furthermore, It says that Bolok said to Bilom, why didn't you curse them? You blessed them. Why does it say that you shouldn't have blessed them? How can you suggest that these are blessings? They're not blessings. They're praises. They're proclamations of praise. Why are they called blessings? If we want to understand this, we need to understand a fundamental principle of of Jewish theology. Listen carefully, this is extremely deep. The greatest um, desire of God is that he wants to live betachtoinim. Tachtoinim means in the depths, not in the highest high, but in the deepest depths. Let's think about who God is. Do you know what he has? 
He has so many angels, Srofim and Srofim, another form of angel, who are at his beck and call at any time, day or night, and they sing to him and they give him praises in the upper um, in the upper regions, in the heavens. Ella shetachli sabria. What is the purpose of creation? Listen carefully. This is a fundamental theological belief of the Jewish nation. Shetachlis habria shel ha'olam hazehi shenis avah kodesh baruch shetiyaladira gambatachtoinim. The main purpose of the creation of the physical material universe is that God desires that he should be able to live even in this very basic material physical place that we call Tachtoinim. He's not happy as it were just to live in heaven. He wants to live but Tachtoinim. In the physical universe, Hashofel, that's the low, moderate, in a place where the Yetzirah is in control. That's where God wants to be. How does that work? How does that work theologically? We human beings are in a place where the odds are stacked against us, against us because we're animals and our desires are physical and material. The Yetzirah, as it were, that's the way we refer to material desire, has complete, as it were, control over us much more than any type of spiritual. What is our purpose? Our purpose is, as a Jew, that we should do God's will. As the Magid of Mezrich explained the Possek that I quoted earlier from Tehillim. He explains the word Kinyonecha in a totally different way. The physical material universe is full of things things by which we can acquire God. Not kinyonech or creations, but kinyonim, things that we can make a kinyon, that we can take possession of, that we can use as vehicles, as intermediaries, as conduits by which we can get a closer relationship with God. Kolonyonim or artsiim. All these physical aspects of creation. When a Jew is involved with them for the sake of heaven, for the sake of a connection with God, he can acquire God through something physical. There's nothing more inexplicable and yet nothing more wonderful than the possibility of using something physical that seems devoid of God for the acquisition of God. And that in and of itself, that one thing is the purpose of creation. The primary directive. Everything revolves around this thing. Everything that we live for 
revolves around this. God desires that he should have a residence in the Tachtoinim, here in the physical world. That is why he created the world. That a Jew should elevate them to their purpose, which is for the will of God. Who are Bolok and Bilam? They're not people. Yes, they are people, and this was a story. But Bolok and Bilam represent something, which is the ultimate form of denial of God in the physical universe. They are the yang to the yin. They are the very opposite of everything I have just described. They want to undermine that very purpose, that primary directive of physical creation. They represent in the human form everything that screams out against God being successful in that he wants human beings to access him even in the physical universe. He was the counterpart, Bilam, to Moshe, to Moses. He was the opposite aspect. He was the negative. He was the evil, as it were, that he knew the Das Elyon. Because there's no force in this world that doesn't have an opposite corresponding force. Ubavada Yodu. And for sure they knew Shakodish Barucha Oyeves Amma Yisrael. There was no question that the Savior of the Jewish people who redeemed them from slavery in Egypt loved the Jewish nation. On what basis did they believe that they would be able to curse them? It wasn't about the Jewish nation as such. It was about completely undermining the purpose of creation like Lovon wanted to do. They wanted to destroy God's experiment, God's project. God's project was to prove that even in a place that is seemingly devoid of him, he can exist. And they wanted to undermine that. It's so powerful because we live in a world, even today, where everything screams out against God's existence and our declaration, our belief, our faith in God is so powerful because it comes up against such tension and opposition. And this is what Bilam and Bolak wanted to achieve. They knew that that which God chose the Jewish nation, they knew that through the Jewish nation, God was realizing his desire that he could live in the Tachtonim. And he chose the Jewish nation who fulfill his wishes and thereby they create the possibility for him to live in the Tachtonim. What they wanted to do was to create a situation where Bilam would be a Mekatreig. Sorry, that, they, that he, they would be able 
to uh, create a situation where they would um, be able um, to undermine the intent of God in the, uh, for the Jewish nation. And they wouldn't be able to be the Am Hanifchar. Please excuse me, I have to pause for a moment. Please excuse me. And therefore, his intention was that he wanted the Jews to go against the will of God. They shouldn't be worthy of being the chosen nation. And therefore, he would be able to to curse them. In other words, he wanted to undermine the very purpose of creation. God's intent was for the Jewish nation to be the realization of the creation of a physical universe by enabling a relationship with God even in a physical place where God doesn't seem to be apparent. And we can see what his intention was. His intention was that he wanted to demonstrate and to display the Jewish nation's sins. To break off and cut off the connection between the Jewish nation and God. And that's why this was the most difficult time for the Jewish nation. This was in fact the greatest threat, even though the Jewish nation was not aware of it. It was the greatest threat to the Jewish nation that they had ever known in their very short existence, much greater than any internal threat or threats from Amalek or threats from wherever it was. This was a fundamental threat to the mission of the Jewish nation. Bilam's intention was to uproot them from their very roots, from their very foundation. To to um, throw them away, to, to destroy them, to eliminate them from their elevated status as the people who were chosen by God by way of the negative impact of that which he would effect from the heavenly sphere. Now, says the Nesiva Sholem, we can understand what it means when it says, perhaps I can destroy them. Destroy them, it sounds like militarily, but perhaps not. I will um, throw them out. I will divorce them. That's what the word means. From the land. I will make sure that they will be thrown out of the land. What, what are we talking about? Why are we talking about that? If his intention appeared to have been military, he wanted to physically uh, annihilate them, exterminate them. What are we talking about? Says the Nesiva Shalom. 
min ha'artzius. It's actually a spiritual intention. He wanted to uproot the control, the elevated spiritual, sanctified um, aspect of the Jewish nation from the physical world. That's ba'agarshenu min ha'aretz ha'artzius. The physicality, the material. And that's why he didn't want them to come into Eretz Yisrael. It had nothing to do with him. He wasn't under threat. He represented the very opposite of the mission of the Jewish nation. And he knew that by going into Eretz Yisrael, they would fulfill the destiny of God in the physical creation of the universe. The physical completion the ultimate realization of the Jewish nation, Ha'am Hanifchar as the chosen people, he bechnisosom l'Eret Yisrael is when they enter into the land of Israel. And by fulfilling all those commandments that are particularly relevant to the land of Israel, which of course they couldn't fulfill when they were still outside of it. When the chosen nation lives in the chosen land, they would reach the ultimate level of completion. And that's what he means when he says, Perhaps I can destroy them. To destroy their entire um, identity by taking away from them their elevated status as the chosen nation. What is the advantage, the ma'ala, of being the Amanifchar? That they are the realization of God's mission with creation. But if they can't go into Eretz Yisrael, they'll never be able to realize that ultimate promise. I will remove them from the land that they cannot enter into the land of Israel. They will be able to reach the ultimate place, the ultimate realization of completion that they need to reach in order to fulfill the mission of God. Because only in the land of Israel are they able to fulfill their ultimate destiny. And they will not be able to fulfill it. I will have destroyed God's mission if I prevent them from entering into the Holy Land. And through this I will have not only divorce them from the land, land, but from the Artsius, Nigrasis in Artsius, I will have undermined God's very mission for this world. And as it says, that the land of Israel, this holy land, is able to sanctify the Jewish nation. In and of itself, just by being here, the Jewish nation is sanctified. And that is why God gave the land of Israel to the people of Israel. Because the produce of the land, they have in and of themselves sanctity just because they've grown in the land of Israel. 
and they are able to infuse sacredness, sanctity, and holiness into the Jewish nation. So that they can be a holy nation. By virtue of the fact that they are sanctifying themselves from the holiness of the land of Israel. From the produce of the land of Israel. And from the physicality, this elevated physicality of the land of Israel. That is a holy place. The land of Israel is holy. It's designated as holy. It's on a level above any other country, any other physical location geographically on the planet Earth. What was the ultimate, what would have been the ultimate success, the victory of the Sitra Achra? What would it have been? That the Jewish nation should never get into Israel. Because ultimately, by the Jewish nation living in the land of Israel, they are able to elevate physicality into spirituality. The possibility only exists if they are in the land of Israel. And the ultimate desire, the intent of Balak and Bilam was, let's make sure they never make it into the land, and they're never able to achieve that objective. To prevent them from elevating the physicality and materialism of the physical world into a spiritual status. This is very powerful. They have no problem with the Jewish nation doing Torah mitzvahs. No problem at all, as long as it's not with the intention of elevating physicality to spirituality. Do a mitzvah, as long as it's got nothing to do with God. Keep kosher, no problem, we don't mind if you eat kosher food, as long as it's got nothing to do with God. Daven every morning, no problem, as long as it's got nothing to do with God. You want to shake lulav on sukkahs? And sit in a sukkah, no problem. It's a cultural thing. It's got nothing to do with God. Balak and Bilam have no problem with that, as long as it's not nothing to do with God. And we said before from the Mezrit Shemagid that the world, the physical world, is full of the opportunities of making a kinyan on Hashem. When the Jewish nation, any Jew, gives himself over for anything that he does, physical, material, but he dedicates it to God, who he can acquire God in that way. And as we said, God desires to have a physical presence in the Tachtoinim. Not necessarily with things that we don't do and that we abstain from, but also with the things that we do do. In the physical things that we do, the food that we eat and the things that we say and everything that we do in our lives. The most, the most mundane of matters. We can acquire God with those. In everything that we do, in every 
way that we conduct ourselves, we can bring ourselves closer to Hashem by allowing God to live in the Tachtoinim. And this is what it means when it says, this is what it means when it says, sorry, I'm just uh, struggling here. This is what it means about the dust. What does it mean? Who can count, says Rashi, all the mitzvahs that the Jewish nation does with dust? We're talking about the mitzvahs which are contingent on being in the land of Israel. Pora, and also the ashes of the Pora, of the Poradum of Afar Soita, and the, and the ashes of the Soita. Vahainu, Shedavar Shofel Ka'ofar, even something as lowly as dust, ashes, Koikodesh can be so holy, Eitzel Yisrael. For the Jewish nation. And with them they can do so many mitzvahs. The mere dust of the land. The ashes. They can do so many mitzvahs. Via that they can elevate so many material things to God. And that also explains anything which seems to us to be lowly can be on such a high level. We can say, who cares? I went to sleep. Who cares if I went to sleep? You know what? If you went to sleep to give you strength so that you can be a devoted servant of God, and that your faith is increased when you wake up in the morning, you can say, Your sleep is elevated. Suddenly, anything that you do is at the highest possible level of sanctity and sacredness. And then he says, I wish I would be able to die. The Mois Yeshorim. He can only say this once he's, he's stressed the point that even with the lowest level of living, I can elevate myself. And Bilam is saying, he's expressing this idea. Because he saw the elevated sanctity of the Jewish nation, and specifically he knew when they enter into the land of Israel. And then we need to understand what the Posuk means when it says, So we now need to understand what that means. It says, the beginning of Shulchan Aruch, what is the first thing it says in the Shulchan Aruch, Erechaim? It says, when you wake up in the morning, Yisgaber Ka'ari, you should make yourself strong like a lion, 
to wake up in the morning, to worship, to do the service of your Creator. The and the Ramah says about this, sorry, when a person puts onto his heart, that the great King God, that the entire world is full of his honor. When you are aware of the fact that that God is standing over you. At that moment, he, the, all the levels of awe and of submission will wash over him in his fear and his awe of God. And he'll know that even when he falls asleep, who is standing over him. The concept is Shemarumaz Bazer. Shatanaila Kayin. Hinted in this is that the condition by which you can fulfill your Judaism, your mission in this world, is Yisgaber Ka'ari. Make yourself strong and mighty like a lion. Lamoid Baboy care to wake up in the morning. That's what it means. That you know who it is. That is the purpose of your existence as a Jew. And Bilam knew it only too well. Bilam knew that the Jewish nation's power is this incredible enthusiasm for God. Even in a world that denies God's existence. We do not lie down until we have beaten and eaten our prey. Our prey being the Sitra Achra, the Yetzahara. If even when we lie down and fall asleep, we know who it is that is standing over us. Then, of course, we will know when we wake up who is our God and we will be able to be mighty like a lion in the morning. That is the great battle that took place between Bilom and Bolak and the Jewish nation, even though the Jewish nation wasn't aware of it. Even though the Jewish nation had no concept of what it is that they were up against. Balak and Bilam knew very well that the future of God's mission lay with the Jewish nation's success in the material world that would be ultimately realized in the land of Israel. And therefore they wanted to ensure that that experiment would fail. They wanted to ensure that the project would be over before it began and that there would never be a Jew who would be mighty like a lion, that there would never be a Jew who would rise up in the morning and be ready to welcome God into a physical material world where his existence isn't immediately apparent. They failed in that mission. And we, as a result of that failure and our knowledge of their attempts to undermine that mission, are aware of what is expected from us and what it is that we need to do. We will leave it here. Thank you so much.